What up? What up? Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Shouts to Body Armor, Combo Nation. We are out here. Before we go any further, I want to thank everyone who's been rocking with Combo in 2018. I'm looking forward to continuing this journey in 2019. Let's keep pushing forward. Let's keep getting better. I'm building towards a statue, man, and I encourage you to work towards your goals as well. Don't follow the pack. Be true to yourself. Separate yourself by putting in the work that no one else would ever be willing to do. Today's show, Fox Sports' own Doug Gottlieb joins in. You might have seen him on The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Doug is also the host of The Doug Gottlieb Show, which is a nationally syndicated Fox Sports radio program. So make sure you go catch more from Doug on Fox Sports. You know you can follow me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe, write on your Apple Podcast app. Listen to us on Spotify as well. Intro music by Always Ant. Let's get into it. They was telling me, hold up. I was killing they sober. New things, new things, new things. This way they can't hold on. Looking back and they all gone. Looking back and it's awesome. Looking back and it's awesome. They was telling me, hold up. Seen a lot of analysts. Great broadcasters and analysts making the jump to Fox Sports from other networks. Is it the Cali weather or is it is it more than that? Um, I, you know, I don't. I don't think there's it's a massive movement. Obviously, you know, most have spent time at ESPN um, right. or other places. You know, I didn't come directly from ESPN. I, I came from CBS. Um, um, but, you know, the, the people that we worked with there, I think, made a huge, huge difference in, um, you know, desire. I mean, like, look, is, is bottom line still the bottom line? Sure. It is, right. Right. Like it's still about how much uh, how much money you're going to get or how much control you're going to get over your product or, you know, but but vision also is a big part of it. And, you know, I signed up because I believe in the vision of our radio department, but also the vision of our daily show department and in the, the, the vision, frankly, of vision, frankly, of our games department. You know, we I kind of lost in it because there's so much talk about. Skip and Shannon and Jason Whitlock and, and Cowherd is that our games, you know, we have way better college basketball games than we've ever had. We now have Thursday night football. Um, college football um, is way more relevant here than it's, it's ever been. And so um, it's, it's a destination for sports fans. And there's a, there's an energy to it, which reminds me of when I first got to ESPN, which was um, shoot 2000 and, three I first got up there okay it just you know where yeah guys were don't get me wrong guys still wanted um opportunities and you know you're not willing to cut somebody's head off but but you know you're still fighting just for airtime but there was still a certain kind of like we're in this together sort of thing um and and that's not to take a shot at ESPN becoming too corporate or a little too PC yeah they, they did become a little corporate, a little PC. I mean, like, look, I'm just, I'm not somebody who I need to bash ESPN or CBS. I had relatively uh, good experiences at CBS and I had great 
um, experiences at ESPN. Did I accomplish all that I wanted to accomplish at either place? No. Um, part of that's my own personality and that I just, you know, I always want more. Um, but part of that is just kind of the reality of, uh, I felt like there were ceilings created and, you know, there's just, instead of going brute force, you kind of just go around it. You mentioned Coward. What has it been like working with him? Um, what has his influence been on you? Well, we were hired by the same guy at ESPN in 2003, a guy named Bruce Gilbert, who ironically used to run Fox Sports Radio. He didn't hire us at Fox Sports Radio, but he used to, he, he left ESPN and went back to work in Dallas and then was, uh, actually worked in DC for Dan Snyder. And then he worked in Dallas and then he ran Fox Sports Radio and then he ran Westwood Radio. Like anyway, so we were hired at the same time. Um, and we've been friends for a long time. And obviously, you know, he's a, he's a, uh, he's a big part of, uh, of how and why I do things. And he's a great, great friend and uh, a really good ally. And it's just interesting. You know, he, he's one of these guys that'll call you at a kind of a random time and have something he wants to either run by you or he, he knows it's going on in the business. And so, um, yeah, I mean, he's been awesome for me. He's been a, a big advocate. He's given me great opportunities, but he also, I think, you know, kind of appreciates and respects my skill set. Right. And I'm not speaking about Colin specifically on this one, but, you know, you play basketball at a high level. How does it feel when you're on these shows, these debate shows, and you're debating with somebody that never really, really played the sport? Is, is that like a frustrating experience for you? Um, I, think it's, I think it depends. I think it, it depends upon who it is and, you know, and how they – how they act and react. I mean, I don't, you know, as long as I don't like, I don't, you don't ha ever have to pull out the, I played and you didn't card because, you know, sometimes you're talking about football and they can go the, they can go the, well, you haven't, you know, even though you've covered, <laughs> I've covered football for 15 years. There's sometimes, uh, sometimes there's a certain lack of buy-in from the, from some people because they're like, well, you're a basketball guy. Yeah. Okay. I'm a basketball guy, but I've done NFL and I've covered college football and college sports and everything for years. So, um, I don't know. I, I just think I, I take every person and how they treat me, how they treat the job. Do they work hard? Do they make good points? You know, um, also kind of the tone of the show matters. You know, some shows are a little bit more combative, whereas some shows are more kind of big brother, little brother, kumbaya. So, yeah, I mean, you, just, you just live, learn over time. I mean, all, all honesty, like there are guys in this business who don't respect people who haven't played before. Um, and I do think it's different every athlete does have a certain level of respect for other guys who have played or coached. Cause they know it's just, no matter what the sport is, it's just different once you've done it. On the other hand, right. there are plenty of guys that played or coached that only have their job because they played or coached. Right. Whereas uh, when you stop and think about it, it, it takes sometimes a little bit more, a little bit more effort. If you order to kind of make it, you got to, you know, claw and scratch and find opportunities. And so, I don't know. you just, I, I usually um, you know, in this kind of third wave of my career, I try and give people more respect maybe than even they deserve. And, you know, then if they are, if they don't show me the same in return, I just, I kind of just brush it off and do my job. I'm just kind of the same guy no matter what. I don't really care. Got you. I wanted to take it all the way back, man. Your father was a D1 coach growing up in Southern California. What was your, what was your father's approach to you as a player? Was he was he really hands on? Did he let you like fall in love with the sport yourself? How did, how was it for you? Um, uh, he was really hard on me. <laughs> you know, you know. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. He was really, he was, and and I'm I'm not as hard on my kid, 
but I do coach my son. No, he's just really hard on me, you know, just high, high expectations for uh, my level of effort and um, a little bit my level of skill. He's just very, very demanding. Uh, I'm probably a little bit more demanding of my son at a younger age, but some of it is, you know, he fights me on things that I didn't fight my, my dad on, you know. You know, like with me, when I coach my kid, it's all about his approach, his body language, his effort, his leadership skills. It's the thing, the things he could control, yeah, pretty yeah. much. Like, you know, look, there's yeah. gonna be times in which you're not the best player. There's gonna be times in which you are the best player. There's gonna be times in which guys let you down or whatever. You have to, you know, you have to play harder than everybody else, be smarter than everybody else, because you can do these things. You know, you got to pay attention more, because when you don't, everybody else follows suit because you're my kid. And, and so he was generally that way. But yeah, he was he was really hard hard on me. But he also, you know, cared for me and knew my my game better than anybody outside of me fast forward to college man Notre Dame you had a good freshman season seemed to struggle off the court a little bit got into some trouble I don't want to get all the way into it but what did you learn from all of it oh a million things um you know on the court was hard because I didn't um I think in, in picking a school I picked it more based upon the opportunity than the style of play I think that was probably uh, an oversight um where you get you get too wrapped up in like hey am I gonna start right away and how how visible is the school and yeah. the coaches' connections and whatever, you know? Because I just thought, hey, it's Notre Dame, it's an unbelievable school. We're going to the Big East, we're playing on NBC and CBS and ESPN, and um, you know, it provided me an opportunity to play for an NBA coach, uh, to maybe get in the league as a player or as a coach. When all those thoughts were, I think, smart thoughts, but um, getting somebody who really understands and appreciates your game is—it's—it's it's no different, honestly, than in broadcasting. And it, you have to get somebody who wow. completely understands who you are and what you're about uh, in order to make it work. Off the court, so, I would say uh, a lot of things. You know, I just – I have a tendency to emotionally act out sometimes when I'm not happy. Um, and obviously that's, you know, one of the worst-case scenarios of it. Um, and so, you know, understanding my own emotions or happiness or unhappiness and how to – how to deal with them and compartmentalize them with the rest of my life. Um, but also I just, look, I was just a bad, it was just my, it was, you also learn your freshman year is going to be weird. It's going to be awkward. It's like any, any, new, any new school, but especially, you know, small Catholic private school in, you know, Northern, Northern Indiana is going to be a massive culture shock to someone from Southern California who grew up Jewish and form and, you know, um, uh, just, it was just very different and how you handle those emotions is, is what I learned. And also the fit, whereas, you know, I went to Oklahoma state and I wouldn't say I was a perfect fit for how coach Sutton uh, wanted me to play. And you know, that we didn't pay as we again, probably didn't pay a ton of attention, although we made it work. Um, what I can tell you was that style of school was much better for me. Uh, it just was, it was, right. it was, laid back it was at the time it was much more of a basketball school um you could be as good academically as you wanted but you could also you know be as chill academically as you wanted you could party if you wanted you could not do anything if you wanted um i don't know there's just a lot about stillwater that fit what my my vision for how a how college should be and um i thought that was a great reason for my basketball success more than anything my personal success there because that was that was more personal success than basketball success 
Right. Speaking of Oklahoma, you did have basketball success. You led the nation in assists. And then after that, you you know, you bounced around the minor leagues a little bit overseas. What was that experience like? Were you enjoying it or were you looking at it? Because probably growing up through the years, you, you wanted to play in the NBA. Was it like a letdown or was it like I got this great opportunity and you were enjoying it? Yeah, I mean, it's really cool to say you played basketball for a living. Right. You know, do you have now? I'm not sure I had the perspective in the moment of just how cool it is. You know, you're you're a barely six foot white kid from you know, Orange, California to dream of playing professional basketball. And you are, you know, to, you know, you, you do get caught up in the, you know, if I'm not in the league, but I don't think, I, I think that, you know, if, if you haven't played, there's, there's one of the, if you haven't played, if you haven't played, you might thumb your nose at playing professionally overseas. Um, right. Especially when you're playing high level overseas basketball. Um, if you have played, you're like, dude, these guys are really, really good. I mean, I've, Willie Burton was the other American when I was in Russia. I mean, here's a top 10 pick in the draft, a guy who scored 15 NBA game. You know, you're like, you're on the same floor then. Um, It doesn't mean that you don't want the validation of going to the NBA, but uh, it's still a pretty amazing thing to when people say, like, did you play professional basketball? And you're like, yes. Definition, I played basketball for a living for three years. So, um, um, and, you know, it took me to all different parts of the world. Um, I played in like, I played for teams in three countries, but played in like 11 countries. And then, you know, I played in several leagues here stateside from the USBL, um, the CBA, the IBA, the, uh, the ABA. So I've seen, you know, all these gyms and played with all these guys that, that uh, we all kind of share the same commonality. And, uh, you know, again, in retrospect, it was, it was amazing. And it was all kind of preparing me for what I do today. I've never seen this many transfers. Is it a problem? And how do you think the rules should be changed? It's a major problem. You... Um, well, the first thing is that the fifth year senior transfer thing is, is a bad role. It, it, the spirit of it is a good role. The problem with it is that what we end up doing is we end up rewarding kids who transfer too early in their first year. You know, they transfer early, you graduate at your second school, and now you can go to a third school. It's a lot easier to graduate when you've registered. And so, um, I, I don't I, I think the first thing would be that anytime you transfer, you should have to sit out a year anytime. And anybody says, well, right. you know, well, what about when your grandma's sick or your mom's sick? Or OK, so then spend that year, spend more time close to home. <laughs> you know, right. your grandma's yeah. really sick. Or your mom's really sick. Your dad's really sick. Well, then shouldn't you be spending that time at home, um, which is a, a trend that they went to. But, you know, the, the problem with the NCA, I believe, is. You know, they give in to public pressure so quickly and public pressure is so anti-NCAA as if they're just the big bad wolf trying to take everything. But um, I think it's a major problem. I think it's a reflection of, you know, when I grew up, um, you know, you fourth and fifth grade, you kind of be on your own rec team and then you get picked up by an AAU team. And that was your that was your team. And you stayed with it. Yeah. And, you know, you occasionally lose a kid or add a kid, but generally that was your squad that you came up with. Now guys play, you know, different weekend, different tournament, different Jersey. doesn't matter. It's bad for the sport more than anything. Like you don't have to care if it's bad for the coaches. That's for some right reason. It's ingrained people to think coaches are bad people because they make money coaching basketball. Right. Right. Um, but what you, what you can do is understand that it's bad for the product and that, you know, uh, I think, like, think Butler plays Indiana tomorrow, like, or Villanova, for example, plays Kansas tomorrow. 
on CBS. And I have a Georgetown. Right. I have a Georgetown game against SMU, but Georgetown's gone through a rebuild. So outside of Matt McClung, nobody knows who any of those guys are. But 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 take a take a Kansas. You know who? This is a premier program, and at any one time they may have three transfers on the floor at once. Which look, it's not that big. Jared Hass was a transfer from Cal to go there. So it's not like they haven't had transfers before, but. Um, you know, Jeff with you as a transfer, but now you start to get to where you can't pick out these, out these players and some of these rosters uh, and you have no idea who they are. And the reason that we cheer for college teams is I think one, the uniforms two, the coaches and three, we like to see these kids grow and develop and mature. And in addition to the one and done, all the transfers is like, dude, I need a name tag with every kid where he's been, where do I know him from, yeah. and how he got here. It's kind of hard to keep track of. Oh, my sure. God. I do it for a living, and it's hard. I can't imagine the college <laughs> fan. They, you know, when you said um, coaches aren't bad people because they get paid, I, I don't think people feel that way. I, don't, I think that that's the perception because the kids aren't getting paid. Yeah, but it's, it's, again, it's a wrong perception. The kids are getting paid. The payment is in, in, in the degree and in the experience and in all the coaching and evaluation. Like, that stuff is there's, – there's no dollar amount that can actually account for what they're getting in terms of promotion. Like it's such a bullshit deal where people are like, Oh, you know, if you play at Duke, you're bringing in, no, you're not. The past players are bringing in those dollars. Not, no one's losing a penny or losing a sleep, a, a night's sleep. If somebody leaves the program, none, what you get is you get to say, I played at Duke. I played for Krzyzewski. I get to go to a, a, one of the most, world's most prestigious universities. And I'm part of a select club. That's going to have my back the rest of my life. That's what you get. Oh yeah, and by the way, you get great coaching, great, you know, great strength training, great nutrition. You get the best of everything when you're a student. You know, there's there's no real dollar amount you can put on it, but you know, we have this societal thing where we like we think these kids are so wronged, and it's just complete bullshit. Speaking of Duke, um, so much hype around RJ and Zion. Who do you feel like will be the better NBA player, and why? Um, I'm not sure that Zion won't be. Um, I was I was not as high on Zion when I watched him in high school. Um, Right. But I didn't know his level of buy in to what he has to be. And look, I'm pessimistic about can you lump around 285 pounds for 82 games plus playoffs like that? That seems to be a lot of weight to carry. And right. um, and, and he, like he's solidly built. Like, I don't know how much weight there is to lose there. Yeah, exactly. But but RJ has always been the best player on every team he's played on, and I'm not sure he's good enough to be the best player on a good NBA team, and I don't know if there's another role he can play. So I might not be as high on him as I was coming into the year. I think they're both going to be pretty damn good, though. Yeah, I think so, too. I think so. I think they have the tools. Um, what impressed me about Zion is just his vision and his ability to handle the ball. I think that I think just everybody saw all the dunks on Instagram and, and they kind of looked past that. And now we see it at a high level. I heard you speaking about this once on a, on a TV show. Um, I think it was on Fox, but who do you feel is higher on your all time list? Larry or LeBron, Larry Bird or LeBron? Um, I'd say, I mean, I'd say probably, you know, LeBron's probably surpassed him in terms of fame. I, I just, somehow we've gotten to this place where we forget that the league was, Larry and magic for a good decade, you know? Right. And it's, you know, I understand he, he's funky looking. It's been a long time. He played in Boston. He's a white dude or whatever. I don't know. Like Michael Jordan's still the greatest player ever. 
Magic Johnson's still the greatest Laker ever. I think that, you know, no disrespect to Bill Russell was a different era. I think that, um, I think that, uh, Larry Bird's the greatest Celtic ever. And LeBron is this incredible all around player who it's just such a different sport now, man. Um, but, yeah. but I also think that Larry's skills would translate to now. Like he was a way, way better rebounder and passer than Dirk Nowitzki and every bit the score. So, I mean, think of how good a player Dirk has been. Um, but, you know, injuries obviously shorten his career. But I always thought of, you know, the big three, you know, growing up was Jordan, Magic, and Bird. And somehow that's kind of gotten lost. Um, it, it has. And yeah. Um, so I would say, you know, I think when I put out that list, it was a year and a half ago, I put LeBron behind him. Like, let's see how this LeBron thing ends because – um, I think he's actually, it's a, it's kind of an amazing transformation here where he's trying to play a little bit of a different way and he really has developed into a much better three point shooter than he used to be. Um, but you know, like, look, look, he hasn't come up, always, always come up big in the biggest moments. Some that's not his fault. Um, I don't know. They're, they're just different. Uh, but now LeBron seems to be embracing taking big shots that he didn't embrace previously. So I always had bird ahead of him. But, you know, like the one thing I hate in this business is you make a statement about somebody who's still playing and it's like you can't ever come off of it. Like, well, okay, well, guys change and they evolve. Sometimes guys get worse. Sometimes guys get better. It's like Tim Duncan. Yeah. Like Tim Duncan's incredibly accomplished. I don't know how Tim Duncan um, would evolve in this NBA. Like it's kind of an amazing thing. Like his position where he's really a center, but even the way in which he played center or he played power forward, like that, that's not really – a position today it's just not Carl Malone yeah like a mid-range shooter post-up player like that's not really something that's valued it's kind of amazing how we've changed and that's also helped guys like LeBron help guys like um uh like James Harden who can play downhill and there's no help in the lane or there's just a big guy in the lane and um you know you you have your momentum and all the officiating helps you as the offensive player so I, I think it's fascinating but I always had Bird ahead of him and my main thing was that I just felt like Bird was more dependable in terms of making the big shot, desiring to take the big shot. And like LeBron, like LeBron would make the big pass. Um, he, like LeBron, yeah. has one of the greatest defensive plays in NBA history, the steal off the Isaiah Thomas inbounds pass. So right. I've had him ahead, but I'm willing to evolve on it and say, hey, you know, LeBron continues to improve as a player even late in his career. Do you have any advice for someone who wants to get into broadcasting after an athletic career? I would say, you know, use all, all the connections you can. You know, yeah. it, use all the connections you can. Like, you're not really asking for a favor. Uh, right. You're just, you're just trying to get in the business. And then just never say no. The, the thing I think that um, athletes have, the two things that they should have ingrained in them that help them succeed that should help them succeed in broadcasting. I mean, maybe three. First is the vision and the, the of the sport and trying to right. let other people, you're trying to explain people why things happened. Uh, but again, it depends upon the, the medium, which you're using. But the other two things are one, uh, an amount of work ethic that other people don't have. Now that doesn't mean that other people don't have great work ethic, but in order to succeed in athletics, you got to wake up some mornings and feel like shit. And then look, I got practice. I got to go. And yeah, um, I'm not sure that all I, we call them civilians, all civilians have that and just don't. 
So you got to draw upon that work ethic. And then the other two is, other thing is in order to succeed in athletics, you have to be coachable. And I don't know if everybody is coachable. There's lots of people who weren't in team sports who are not coachable. And, um, you know, people are going to solicit and you should solicit their advice. Take it and be coachable. If you do, it's going to help you. And whether it's sending your tape to somebody like me or you have an agent or you have somebody in the talent department at the place you work, anybody can, you know, it's, it's hard to get honest feedback, but when you do get that honest feedback, you got to use it and not everybody knows how to use it. Well, thanks, Doug, man. I appreciate you being here. You're always welcome back on Combos Court. Appreciate you. Hi, brother. There it is. Episode 38. Hope you enjoyed this show. Big shouts to Doug for joining in. If you listen to this episode in its entirety, leave your New Year's resolution right in the comment section of your Apple Podcast app. Leave a five-star rating as well. Combo Nation from the listeners who've been here from the beginning to the newer listeners as well. I appreciate you all more than you know. Happy New Year. Be on the lookout for episode 39. Combo out.